loan officers. Join the mortgage calculator as an MLO for unlimited mortgage leads and up to 250 BPS compensation. All right. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us for tonight's training on how to source bank statement deposits. <clears throat> now, we're going to be going over bank statement deposits for income as well as bank statement deposits for assets, right? So let's jump right into our presentation here. So what obstacles are presented by large deposits, right? That's the first thing that you need to know because my first bullet point there revolves around guidelines, right? The loan underwriting guidelines. Now, it's no mystery here. When you get these conditions from an underwriter regarding large deposits, they were just going by what the guidelines state. And most of the guidelines will state that any deposits greater than 50% of the borrower's monthly income has to be documented. And in case you may not trust what I'm saying, let's see if we can grab it. No, I guess we can't grab it right now. But so we're looking at bank statements, two different scenarios here. We're looking at bank statements for income or banks or, you know, assets. Now, for self-employed borrowers only, now we're, we're, we're talking about a bank statement loan for income here, which is self-employed borrowers only. Any deposit equal to or greater than 50% of the borrower's monthly income will need to be documented to confirm that it is business income or else it cannot be counted towards the borrower's income. This is one of the big issues with bank statement loans, right? Undocumented large deposits where you can't confirm that it's business-related income. So that's a, that's a really big issue. Now, we all know the workaround for this is a profit and loss loan. But if possible, we'd rather stick with the bank statement loan as it's a little bit of a simpler loan requiring less documentation from the tax preparer. Now, the other scenario that you're going to run into regarding deposits is going to be for full doc as well as bank statement for income loans. It is that, again, any deposit equal to or greater than 50% of the borrower's monthly income will need to be documented and sourced and seasoned to confirm that it can be included in the borrower's total assets, right? If they're available funds for the cash to close. Now, this is very critical when you do determine your borrower's income, right? Whether it's a full doc borrower, <coughs> excuse me, in which you're using whatever method, you know, tax returns, pay stubs, W-2s, whatever is the acceptable method for the loan that you're using, you're going to come up with an income and any deposit greater than 50% of that income has to be documented. And this is for your bank statement loan also when you're calculating the income based on the bank statements. Now, this doesn't mean that any deposit equal to or greater than 50% of the total deposits 
will need to be documented because I was reviewing a file with one of our MLOs the other day. And they're like, oh, you know, we're okay because the borrower deposited 125000 and that month and the large deposit that we were talking about was much less than that. But I had to remind them that it's not 50% of the total deposits of that month. It's if that deposit is greater than 50% of the monthly income that has been calculated for that borrower. So in that borrower with that 125,000 monthly deposits, if we're going, let's say, with a 50% expense ratio then we're and assuming we use all of the deposits right then that borrower's income is 62,500 and then half of that income is what a 31,250 i think right so any deposit then of 31,250 or greater right would need to be documented by the loan officer, you know, you need to request all of the different items for the borrowers, which we're going to get into now as to what you need to request. But again, this is this should not surprise anybody, just like fraud guard conditions for undisclosed properties should not surprise the loan officer when they get that. So bank statements for income, how to source large deposits for income. When you're, when you're dealing with a bank statement loan where the deposits are income-related. So again, it's pretty basic stuff. The whole, idea, the whole thing here is don't get caught off guard, right? You have all the information. You know what the income is. You have all the bank statements. Go through them. Identify all the large deposits that are 50% or greater. And send your customer the list of the items that you need to cover. So large deposits for income can be sourced by the following. <clears throat> We're talking about income, right? If it's a bank statement loan and these are the monthly income deposits, then you're going to need, for example, an invoice or invoices for the work that was completed that matches the amount of the deposits. I, I had this come up where the borrower for some of these deposits provided multiple invoices because she would deposit all of her items in one shot. I think it was like a $9,000 deposit that we were looking for. And it was actually four or five individual deposits. The borrower provided the invoices, the multiple invoices. They all added up to the amount. And then we just included a processor cert, which is basically a letter of explanation from either the loan officer or the loan processor signed, explaining what we are presenting and tying all of the loose ends, right? Dotting the I's, crossing the T's. Another way to document these large deposits for income could be contracts, contract or contracts for the work completed that matches the amount of the deposit. And, if, you know, I would say an invoice is probably just a simpler document it's sort of like a contract but it's not not a contract we're just invoicing them for the work whereas a contract is the actual contract for for that work performed especially if it's a large dollar amount chances are you're going to want as much detail on that document as possible and another way 
that you can clear these large deposits for income can be actually providing copies of the items deposited along with a lot of explanation or, if available, the invoices as well. As you know, the more complete that you make your condition submission to underwriting, the easier it's going to be for those conditions to be clear. So if you had the invoice plus a copy of the item, that's good. In some cases, we don't have copies of the items. Maybe they paid cash or whatever, however they paid, but it always would help if you have a copy of the item, processor cert, and then also the invoice or contract that matches. But I have been able to clear conditions with just the invoice or just a contract or just a copy of the item as long as we have a nice detailed processor cert. <clears throat> so this is for bank statements for income. How about large deposits for assets? Similar scenario, right? But one thing to note here, especially when we're talking about large deposits for assets, avoid potential issues by only providing the bank statements that will be needed for the transaction. Now, why do I say that? Well, because I've been reviewing files where, you know, you're doing a pre-approval for a borrower, TBD pre-approval. Maybe you started doing this pre-approval in September of 2023. Now it's February of 2024. Borrower calls you and says, Jose, I'm under contract. It took five months, but I found the perfect home, right? So what you need to do at that point is update the statements, right? Update the bank statements and delete the old bank statements from Encompass or your LOS, right? Delete them. That way you don't have any confusion with those files being included with a loan submission because you only need to, in the worst case scenario, I'm saying in the scenario where it's the most detail required is really what I mean by worst case scenario. Nothing bad about the scenario, just in the one where you're going to have to provide the most documentation is going to be two months worth of bank statements, right? Those would be the most restrictive guidelines. So then, you know, you're going to provide January and December, but you're going to make sure that that October, November that you have in there gets deleted. Because if not, it's easy for those to be included with your loan submission. And you may have deposits in those older statements that, you know, you don't want to come up. So the first thing to do in your file is make sure you only have the documents in the file that are actually needed. That's the first thing. No surprises from underwriting. Then you want to pay attention to the guidelines that you're using. Again, notice I keep going back to guidelines and I'll share guidelines with you in a minute. But make sure that the guidelines are stating either one or two months bank statements will be needed. In other words, are they requiring the deposits to be seasoned for 60 days or are they requiring the deposits to be seasoned for 30 days? If you need them to be seasoned for 60 days, you're going to need two months bank statements. If you only need them to be seasoned for 30 days, you only need one bank statement. And this is the same when you have your automated underwriting approval for your agency loans, right? And the agency loans may be telling you no reserves required for that refi. That means don't provide bank statements. Or maybe the, the findings are telling you you only need one month worth of bank statements, right? So then only provide 
one month worth of bank savings. Don't provide two, three, or four. Don't just give them everything you have because you think the more the better. <coughs> because what could end up happening is that you're just opening up a can of worms there for underwriting to look at four months worth of bank statements and then start questioning you about stuff from November and October. And I only say this as ridiculous as some of you may think it sounds because I see this happening on occasion on files as I'm reviewing loan approvals and I see they're asking for stuff that should have never been submitted with the file had the MLO been paying attention to the guidelines for the option that they're using for the submission. And on agency loans, you're 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 going to be using AUS findings. Your findings dictate what you need to provide on an AUS loan. And if there's any there's you know any clarification needed, you would go to either the Fannie or Freddie selling guide look up the topic and see. So, and I mentioned there in the second bullet point about deleting bank statements more than two months old, so they are not accidentally submitted to underwriting. Large deposits for assets, very similar, can be sourced by the following. Mainly, you're going to need a copy of the item that was deposited along with a letter of explanation, because other seeing is a deposit for $6,000, right? We don't know if that's cash. We don't know if that was a check payable to the borrower. We don't really know what that was. And the only way to find that out is to provide a copy of the item that was deposited. Now, you may have to provide additional documentation to show if it's not totally clear what was the purpose of that payment, right? You may have to provide a transaction document of some type if available. <clears throat> I know sometimes we get cash deals. Like, for example, you sold a car inexpensively, you know, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. You don't want to take a check from the person. Maybe you didn't want a cashier's check. You told them, bring, you know, I'll take cash. So, you know, you have a three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 cash deposit. What are you going to do there? Well, hopefully you're going to have some kind of a transaction document, like the bill of sale, the title transfer, the tag transfer document that you can get at the tag agency or any other type of transaction document. Like I've had it where they've had to obtain a, a, an appraisal for a piece of jewelry, you know, like I sold a piece of jewelry for $3,000 and they didn't, you know, it was a cash deal. So then at that point, you got to provide some type of proof that you actually owned this item <coughs> and then some proof of the transaction, right, that occurred maybe at the pawn shop or wherever it was that you sold uh, the watch to. And they, in some cases, have even asked if it's an expensive watch for an appraisal, you know, prove to me that you actually had that and it was actually worth that kind of money. Can get a little bit uh, tedious there. So watch out with those cash deposits and try to identify any of these issues up front. And how do we identify these issues up front? Well, the best solution is to properly structure the loan from the onset, right? You're not going to have any, any issues there. Here we have snippets from two separate guidelines, right? So again, some of the bullet points there, restating, avoiding potential issues by providing only the bank statements that will be needed for the transaction. Review all applicable guidelines and choose the one that best fits the parameters of the deal. Don't just go with the one that's the lowest rate. Because, you know, obviously when we're 
looking at the quotes, we're going to gravitate towards the option with the lowest rate. Maybe we don't have much information yet on the scenario of the borrower. We only know their credit score, that they're self-employed, you know. But once you get additional details of the deal, you're going to know what's going on. And then you can dig deep into the guidelines and review them to make sure that you don't pick one option that's going to be difficult, right? And here's a prime example, right? The first example (coughs) will state here that, and you'll see how I have it highlighted in yellow, right? Source of large deposit is not required to be documented, right? So with that guideline, and that's for one of our DSCR options, they don't want they don't care. All they really want is just the bank statement to show the current balance and what and whatever is in the current balance. That's what's there. Now, the account has to be open for more than 60 days. Right. And they're going to want the two months. Right. But they don't care about large deposits. They just want to know that the person has had the account open for at least two months. Right. And then the rest of the stuff is just pretty cut and dry on their, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. Now look at the guideline below. Look at how complicated that looks, right? And that's pretty standard. Assets to be used for down payment, closing costs, debt payoff, and reserves must be seasoned or sourced for 60 days. If cash out proceeds are used for reserves, most recent two months bank statements are still required by that outlet, right? And notice it's all over the place, 60 days, two months, Supporting documentation should be obtained for single unexplained deposits that it of the bars. Oh, I, I think there's something missing there that was cut off. Documentation of large deposits is not required in refinance transactions. And again, they don't show here the 50% rule, but it is in the guidelines. I can guarantee you where if the deposit exceeds 50% of the income, It has to be documented, whether it's a deposit for income or a deposit for assets. So obviously, the the option with no seasoning on assets has a higher rate due to the more relaxed guidelines. That's why we may miss this as an option initially until we realize the issues that our loan has, because higher risk equals a higher rate, right? If it's more relaxed guidelines that's higher risk than the one that verifies more information. So higher risk equals higher rate. However, it is rather well-priced, right? If it will allow the borrower to close on this transaction, if the borrower just received, just plunked down $100,000 into his account with no way to show where it came from, right? Well, this would be, you would have to go with the first option to be able to not have any issues with sourcing the borrower's money versus the second option, which may give a little bit better rate. But if you can't source them, you're not going to get them. And that could result in you know not being able to close because even though he has that $100,000 in the bank, they may not, they're not going to give him, they're not going to count that as available assets for the transaction. So like how you're going to see here, it's pretty simple here to be able to figure this out. You just Again, got to go to the guidelines, study them, 
see what you and and you really need that thorough vetting of the borrower, right? We always talk about thoroughly vetting the borrower's credit, income, assets, and the property. Obviously, when we're having that initial call, and definitely after you get into the loan application and you're getting all this type of documentation, be aware of what you're dealing with so that you can choose the proper path for the loan so that you don't get surprised by any last minute conditions, which shouldn't be a last minute condition, right? Once you look at those bank statements, you're going to know all of the deposits that are 50% or greater than the borrower's monthly income. Okay. I don't see any questions here. No questions came in. Anything that you want to add there, Nick? Oh, no? Okay. All right. Let me see. Scroll through here. No, no questions. Okay, cool. All right. I guess you did a good job then, Jose, at explaining. So thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Remember, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. That's our other show. 7 p.m. Eastern time, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, we do this. Oh, wait, there is something that came in. Question is, so by looking at the deposits, we should determine the type of loan. Well, I mean, that would be a factor in it, right? Like, you know, if the deposits are too large, you're going to have to source them or maybe go P&L or, you know, so I guess that's kind of what they mean, Jose. Is- yeah, I mean, the deposit stream, again, you know, it would really depend what type of analysis you're doing, right? I mean, if you have a self-employed borrower and you're trying to qualify them for a bank statement loan, yes, the deposits would certainly determine if you're going to be able to continue with a bank statement loan or if you're going to have to transition to a profit and loss loan because you don't have, you're not able to document some large deposits for income, right? But when we're talking about deposits for assets, a little bit different how you're going to look at those, but because those are just for assets, not, not for income. So you do got to look at the guidelines and see who requires what because they're, they're all different in non-QM. Everybody tweaks their guidelines differently. You have the more conservative options that are going to be super tight, and those are going to be usually the ones that are going to give you the lowest rates. And then as the rate goes, goes a little bit higher, it's usually the result of more relaxed guidelines. And also, you want to look for NSFs and overdrafts and anything like that. Even if they have overdraft protection, those are still overdrafts, so... Those would also be something to look at when you're looking at those and determine which loan type to use. All right. Thank you for the question, though. So let's wrap it up then. Tuesday, Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern, we do this show. So we'll be back tomorrow with a new loan officer training topic. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Thank you, Jose. Great presentation. And we'll see you all tomorrow, 7 p.m. Eastern time for the next episode of the loan officer training series with the mortgage calculator. Take care, everyone. Have a good night. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Loan officers, join the mortgage calculator as an MLO for unlimited mortgage leads and up to 250 BPS compensation.